0: there's this emerging awareness that data is important. Uh-huh. Like, oh, there's yeah. a lot of data, this is really important. And then there's a, a sense of, well, what do we do with it? How do we deal with this data? And how do you make this data useful in a, in a consistent kind of way?
1: Hello innovators, I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with the mission to propel this great industry forward. I am joined once again by Dan McCarthy. He's the CEO of Dodge Data and Analytics, North America's leading provider of commercial construction project data, market forecasting, and analytics services and workflow integration solutions for the construction industry. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Thank you for having me, Todd. I'm pleased
0: to talk to you again.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you back. And we are Excited that you're going to be one of our main feature keynote at MEP Force on August 30th, kicking the whole show off. I'm feeling the stress and you look, <laughs> you look
0: surprisingly bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for somebody who's organizing an event like that.
1: <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't sleep and it's <laughs> a lot of caffeine is, is the trick. I know, crash hard <laughs> come <All right>. September. <laughs> I bet.
0: No, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to hearing the other speakers as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the theme of the show this year is indestructible, and would love to start there. <laughs> well, what, is, what does that mean to you for the MEP trades? Wasn't that like a, an aircraft carrier during World War II, or <laughs> maybe maybe? Hey, we are <laughs> we are strong and proud, just like that. <laughs> then, um,
0: so what what made you pick that? What made you pick that theme? What did that, like, what about that theme resonated at this moment?
1: Yeah, uh, well, a couple of different things. I I love the word, the indestructible. There's so much mm-hmm. just like power and kind of grit to me behind that. And then it was a, we wanted to create this kind of balancing a, approach of the last 18 months have kind of rocked everybody's world as that's an understatement, I, I, for sure. Uh, but the, the trades have proven that they have been indispensable. I mean, they, you don't build a building without MEP. And so they're indestructible in the construction process. But then looking out towards the future, we are incredibly hawkish on yeah. the trades and the role of the trades. And so, you know, I, I think uh, indestructible again, going forward, it's, it strikes us really cool. Uh-huh. Nod to the past, but also a hopeful, optimistic tone of where I think the industry is going is that the, the, the MEPs are their day in the sun is here.
0: And what I what I find really intriguing about the word indestructible is that it it's there are lots of different ways to be indestructible, and indestructible is a word that that connotes a kind of force to it. You can't break this, and you like think of something like a like a rock or a piece of granite. Yeah. actually what we've learned in the last uh, 18 months or been reminded of in the last 18 months is that being indestructible means means also being adaptable and Mm. flexible and rigidity does not give you the skills that you need to be indestructible, but being flexible and adaptable does. And so there's this, remarkable resilience that we saw within the construction industry through the course of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it is one of the industries that didn't miss a beat in during the midst of COVID and re-instituted a series of uh, workplace safety measures to keep everyone who was working on the job site safe and as I've gone from work site to work site, um, I, one of the things that I've been so impressed by is the compliance, just how many people during periods where they need to be wearing masks are wearing masks, during, during periods where they need to be practicing safety protocols or cracking safety protocols. And um, it's just amazing. The construction industry did not miss a beat during the course of the pandemic, while all kinds of other industries ground to a halt.
1: Yeah, I, I love the, the flexibility aspect that you brought into there. I, it's uh, it, It's been cool hearing how people are interpreting the, the indestructible theme. Uh, and I, I, I think that the flexibility is, is a great point to, to bring out. It's the, the bend, don't break mentality, which construction has that grit to, to bend, don't break. Uh, I also think it's interesting over the, the course of the last 18 months, you know, construction has this false perception that, they can't change and they, they don't adapt quickly. Mm-hmm. But yet they proved that that is incredibly wrong, that they did change and they did adapt when they had to, and they were able to embrace these new technological workflows and processes when they had to.
0: So I've, I've told this story a couple of times. I may have shared it with you. It was, we, you know, think about, think about our world. where We do business with 40,000 different firms around the U.S., And those firms are a wide range of participants in the construction industry, from big building product manufacturers and rental companies, all the way to uh, a specialty trade that services one city or one geographic region. So last March, we lost contact with 40,000 customers overnight. Like where'd they go? How are we gonna have? How are we gonna talk to them? How are we gonna make sure they have access to their services? How are we gonna help them grow their business? And within the space of about three weeks, everybody's behavior changed. Mm-hmm. We're on video calls with everybody. We're using GoToMeeting. We start using Teams. We use Zoom. Uh, we're talking to we're talking to uh, senior executives of roofing companies in their basement workrooms and. And it was just like it didn't. It hardly missed a beat. I saw a blip of about three weeks, and then everybody found this new way to talk to each other.
1: Yeah, it's a resilient industry. Back to the the bend don't break. It's I, mean, I think construction has some of the best problem solvers around because you have to be on the job site. <laughs> well, no, because um,
0: time is money in construction. It's yeah. uh, like ultimately one of your biggest. There, there are a couple of. There are a couple of fundamental risks in construction. One of them is that you go too fast, or that you go too, or and the other is you go too slow because it's a just-right industry. You need yeah. to go at just the right pace. And then the other is is that you made an assumption based on bad information. There is a bad measurement. There is a bad quantity number. There is a bad estimate put in place because there was um, there was the the takeoff was done. In a bad way, there was a specification done that something didn't, uh, something doesn't actually work or make sense when you try to install, and um, so this the construction's got this beautiful combination of being a precise industry that and that precision is critical because that's mm-hmm. what builds great buildings and great structures and being a flexible industry, because every single part of the job life cycle introduces um, surprise and uncertainty. And then you've got to solve problems. So yeah. it's really cool. It's, a, I, it's just, I love this. I love this business. And, and because of the people who are in it, it's just an amazing place to be.
1: Yeah, agreed. Uh, well, let's zero in a, a bit more on the, the data side of things. So what kind of maybe awakening are, are you seeing happen in the construction industry regarding data? So um, I, the, the, my first observation
0: is really, um, will sound trite and simplistic, but there is this emerging awareness that data is important. Uh-huh. Like, oh, there's yeah. a lot of data. This is really important. And then there's a and then there's a, 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 a sense of, well, what do we do with it? How do we deal with this data? and how do you make this data useful in a, in a consistent kind of way? Um, and those are two really challenging things to suddenly become aware of because when you're saying data is important, you're committing yourself to thinking about, all the different type of data that you're collecting in a different way, and then when you're saying, "Well, how do we make it useful?" You're committing yourself to trying to integrate data into processes where you typically haven't had data. And I would say that across the board, um, the construction industry is realizing that data is more flexible. That word again, more flexible. Mm-hmm more relevant and more useful than they had initially thought. And now they're trying to get their arms around it, figuring out what to do.
1: Do you feel indestructible? Well, do you? Then MEP Force 2021 is the event for you. It's the gathering place for industry thought leaders throughout MEP to come together and learn the new technology trends in prefabrication and more. The best part is that it's all industry led and driven. Meaning real people from the trades will be leading the almost 70 breakout sessions. So you will be getting real life, practical examples and use cases to take back and implement right away. This year, we'll be having some in-person networking events in Atlanta, Austin and Denver. Excited to see people in person. Go over to MEPforce.com to claim your edge today and use promo code BTG to save almost 50% on your ticket. Looking forward to seeing all my innovators at MEP Force. Yeah. So how do you then help mitigate the, the feeling of the floodgates opening and its information and data overload?
0: Yeah. So um, it's, there's the, one of the things, uh, one, of the, one of the images I think about when I think about the uh, fl- information and floodgate overload is it's a little bit like moving from fishing in a pond to fishing in the ocean. You're still yeah. you're still using water, bait, and they're fish somewhere in there, but the ocean feels overwhelming and endless. It's an endless expanse. And you can't, when you decide to fish on the ocean, you can't just wish the ocean to be smaller. <laughs> you need to have some sort of skill and insight to know well, where am I going to go so that I can fish effectively? And that's the starting point of thinking about data. It starts with deciding what do what's what do I think I can improve in my business because of the data? And then how do I build a series of hypotheses questions that i think i should answer to improve that thing so mm-hmm. let's let's take an exa- let's take an example i'm going to i here i'm going to focus in on on customers and prospects i'm going to focus in on the sales channel the idea of how data becomes relevant to your sales channel so i'm i've got a business and i have got a way of getting my customers i've got uh, I've got GCs and owners that I work with on a regular basis, and I keep my eye open for where there are going to be opportunities in the marketplace. And I probably got I've got a business development person or somebody who reaches out when there are new opportunities to make that company or that GC or that builder aware of us. Mm-hmm. So that's how I go after customers. Now maybe I use data for some of those things. Maybe I subscribe to a. Uh, a project service like Dodge. Maybe I use uh, bidding information from BlueBook. Maybe I'm part of Building Connected or, or Smart BidNet. But I've just got I've got a I've got this orientation that this is how I grow my revenue. Let's say I pose. Let's say I I I, I then go well. I want my I want the number of jobs I have to increase in value. So my revenue gets bigger without me having to take more jobs on. That's the problem I've got. Mm -hmm. How can I use data to help me solve that problem? So the first thing you ask yourself is, what questions do I have to answer to create that outcome of, I want bigger jobs? So the first question I've got to answer is, what are the bigger jobs? Second question I've got to answer is, Do I have any relationships with people who are working on the bigger jobs? Third question I've got to answer is, which of my competition gets those bigger jobs? Fourth question I've got to answer is, are there things that I don't have that I need to qualify for those bigger jobs? Now you've set up a data use case. Now you can go, well, I need some data. I need data about what the bigger biggest jobs are that are within my in my operating area. I need data about who are the GCs and owners that are um that are bringing those jobs out to bid. I need data about who are the subs um, that won, the, won in my uh, trade category. And then I need some data about, you know, like, like what makes those firms different than mine. So that's a simple data use case, and that's a simple way of taking data, and now now you're at the point where you have to answer, how do I get all that data? How do I organize it? How do I, and then how do I track it so that I don't turn it into a single use case, but I turn it into data that I'm using on an ongoing basis?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that those strategies and questions are, that provides a, a really thoughtful approach to to data. Um, I, I love that example too of the the fishing. Uh, I was just in Maine for a, a couple of weeks this summer, and my father in law is a, a big fisherman and he loves to take us on a, a deep sea fishing adventure. And I am not the fisherman <laughs> level to his. Uh, I don't by any means. <laughs> uh, but it's having the guide there on the boat is incredible like if you took me and dropped me off into the ocean i would have no idea where to cast to get the striper but the guy knows exactly the the right reef and tosses right. and you know cast the the line right in the perfect spot every single time and it's like oh this is amazing because so, you know where you're looking for and, and what you're you're hunting after so so how yeah, did i think you, that's a great um, how'd you do uh this was actually our most disappointing year <laughs> usually we catch like these huge stripers. and this year we we each caught one apiece. piece oh it that's was so just, disappointing um they, the our guide said that we had a, a westerly win which was bad news for for that area so let's um, let's take the that country. guide let's take that guide um idea and
0: you think about okay what 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 makes a good guide right so a good guide has got an idea of what you're trying to accomplish they've got an idea of just how much patience you've got how much appetite you've got to deal with rough water they 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 take a, they assess the situation and then they use that knowledge and combine it with their knowledge of the environment the fish and everything else and they try to deliver you a really good uh a, a really good experience and as i've been thinking about this issue of okay like how culturally how do you create the environment where inside your company you can create room for guides like how to how do i how do you take a company where you don't have, it's like if a, 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 a mid-sized trade does not have lots of people wandering around who are technology people. They won't necessarily have a lot of people who are business analysts. And and mm-hmm. they're pretty much organized to execute functionally the process they need to execute to get the job, asking, you know, estimate the job, bring the job in, uh, get the materials, organize the um, the job schedule, and uh, install implement the job. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, one of the biggest, I'm, if I'm running a business like this, I'm really puzzling through. All right, this 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 sounds fine. Like the way you just the way I just pose those questions are the way that a lot of uh, most business owners. Would pose the question of how to grow, mm-hmm. but how do I get the wherewithal inside my organization to actually execute those questions? And that's where that's where I think that there's a, there's some really interesting um, precedent and guidance established in larger organizations that have gone down this path. Of digital transformation, and typically, um, digital transformation is is like you know, it, it, for for big companies, it's a matter of uh, steering into the skid, like it's already happening, and now you want to mm-hmm. take control of it, and you just want to control the skid so you can get control of the car again. And for smaller companies, it's less well, it, it it's less like that. It's more like well. I've got people who are agitating, or I've got somebody who's saying, we need to be doing this, or I saw this technology, we need to be doing that, um, and and come on, come on, we need to move. But what's interesting about the the successful digital transformations at larger companies is there are two key things that they have uh, come to realize. It doesn't start with technology, it starts with culture it starts with and culture is a matter of people and attitude driving outcomes and so your you've got you've got to feel confident that you've got space for somebody to have that to guide that question of here's what we want to do what questions do we need to have answered and then, how do we go get the data to get that question? And what was striking in one study that I think Altimeter Group did um, was that when they went out to companies and asked, you know, when you're hiring into a digital transformation, are you hiring a lot of people with new skills? Are you hiring a few people with new skills and putting them in uh, one or two critical places? Um, or are you trying to take people with old, old skills and transform them? The most successful digital transformation uh, culture shifts are when companies hire a few people who've got these digital skills and put mm-hmm. them into uh, critical places where they're able to be a collaborative participant in defining the problem that's trying to be solved mm-hmm. and. So what's that mean? It means hiring one person who can think like a data scientist, um, it's, and, but making sure that they also can talk like a, they can talk about the business and they can ref, define, they can think holistically enough to help participate in a discussion about what business problem do we wanna solve.
1: Autodesk Construction Cloud helps specialty contractors work more productively every day. The world's leading specialty contractors rely on ACC to drive company profitability by ensuring quality, winning more work and reducing risk as they deliver more complex projects faster. Autodesk offers the best solutions across the project from design detailing to pre-con and field execution into a single platform connected in a common data environment. With Autodesk Construction Cloud, teams are able to win more work by streamlining the pre-construction process, issue more bids, and increase bid accuracy. They can mitigate risk by avoiding rework and mistakes by always working from the latest plans and documents. They can increase profitability, get insights into project success drivers to maximize returns on every job. They can capture more work, leverage BIM models in the field for work in place tracking and schedule sequencing. They can connect crews connecting the field and office through faster and more sustained technology adoption. And finally, they can ensure quality, build it right the first time, avoid clashes in the field with automated clash detection. For specialty contractors, this results in more productive field and office teams, delivering value and exceeding customer expectations and better business outcomes. To learn more directly from the Autodesk team at MEP Force, check out their on-demand session how subs can leverage data to power business results. And their live roundtable with the Queen of Prefab herself, Amy Marks, on August 30th at 3:30 PM Eastern. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. I, I think it's also positioning it not just as a, a tool that you use to do a particular aspect of the job, but it's a it's a mindset. The digital transformation is more probably more mindset than anything else of really getting it infused in the culture. And I, I liked what you said with the, the people and attitude driving the, the outcomes there, but that's a different way to think about how you interact with technology than the traditional construction industry has been used to.
0: Yeah. And, and it's funny, there's this, uh, this one, one, it one commentator observed that transformation is about as much about unlearning as learning. Oh yeah. Um, and and so the I think I think that there's if if you're when you're in a when you're in a position of trying to influence this change at a company or of 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 owning a company that uh, is being pressured to make this change, there's. You've got to come to grips with a level of inevitability about the technology evolution. And there there are concepts that on their at the core are really compelling and eventually are going to be um, unavoidable and And I think the the concept of a digital twin is a, really compelling and ultimately unavoidable concept. There is everything that you need to create a digital twin exists there. Um, And there's a, a, a range of definition about what exactly constitutes a digital twin, but the digital twin creates an efficiency around sharing information about the structure, both as it's intended and as it's installed, that is going to increase the asset value of that structure over the course of years. So that's an inevitability. Nobody's nobody's gonna be able to stop that from happening. Um, There's an inevitability in needing to share and transfer information digitally. There's an inevitability about compliance being um, a digital artifact. Not, not a paper artifact. Each one of these aspects of being a participant in the construction lifecycle, they're inevitable. So then you ask yourself, well, if this is an, inevit- an inevitability, if I'm going to have to adapt to a world where each aspect of this work ultimately has to create a digital artifact, then how am I going to prepare myself for it? And how am I going to turn that into a point of strength for my business instead of a point of pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are hard conversations to have, but I think they're absolutely essential conversations to have.
1: Yeah, for sure. What do you think is maybe the biggest misconception most construction firms have around data? Uh, That it's perfect. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's that's probably true.
0: because the single biggest the single biggest challenge around data is governance. Yeah. So you've got to to make data work inside your organization, you need to have consistency in the data, and it needs to be clean. It's why um, it's why a, uh, an, a a process like we do at Dodge and Blue Book, on the surface looks like oh I can go get all that stuff myself. But we spend millions of dollars a year cleansing and harmonizing and making consistent and organizing all that data so that it can be used for specific activities and outcomes. And so now, when we work with clients, and we'll come in and uh, we'll we'll say, we'll say, large clients or, or small clients, we'll say, hey, you know, one of the easiest ways for you to leverage our data is to um, is to integrate it into whatever your CRM system is, your your customer relationship management system, and then they just uh, they they kind of open that they open that up, and then they've got a lot of bad records in there, a lot of gobbledygook. It just hasn't been they haven't been persistent about how their their um, how they're keeping it and
1: mm-hmm.
0: data needs to be treated with the same precision of habit and behavior um, in your organization as you treat the rest of the um, as, as you treat a construction project mm-hmm. so so that's the that's the biggest um, that is the biggest uh, that that is the biggest misconception data's clean they didn't need to be made clean. It's like processing. Ta- it's like processing raw water into potable water.
1: Yeah, yeah, and consistently going back and and cleaning it up because All data has a, a life cycle <laughs> that, that it's just <laughs> it's no good anymore. It might have been good at one point. It's not good now.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. We 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 have these systems built where we put a new contact into our system and it looks like it, it and it looks like another contact an exception pops up it's like are these two the same or not and we've got a team of data stewards who are constantly looking at all those exceptions because our, yeah. our 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 objective is well we've got our the, the our our north star is every single record is the master record every single individual is the master uh, identity for that individual. And it's hard to do. you know we that's why it's our North Star because it takes a lot of time, energy, and uh, processing power, AI, machine language, all those cool things to get to that, to even get in the direction of that North Star.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a really big insight with the North Star concept because if you don't have a North star back to the governance side of things, if you don't have a North star of what your aim is, then how do you maintain the data? How do you clean the data? How do you keep up with it? You're just going to be overrun by it. You have to have that North star to know, all right, this is what my standard is. This is where we're going.
0: This is what we want. And, and, you know, that North star needs to tie into the rest of your, um, into the rest of your constellation, because Mm -hmm. the, the ultimately for a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of, a, a lot of people who run um, who run you know, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 million dollar businesses, yeah they're, they're worried every single day about keeping the train on the track. And um, they're worried about whether they've got the right people, Sitting in the right seats at the right time to get the project done. They're worried that their crew's going to show up. They're they're worried that they're that the that the person who's dispatching the crews, are they giving me good information or not? Are they going to be out sick for a week? They're, there's just all these worries and and they're real. That's how you run your business. But the the the, the way to drive this, this transformation, the way to figure out how to harness data in the digital transformation is to start with, well, what do I want my company to do? What's next? Where what and and it's it, sometimes it's even a matter of of going like, how do I figure out how to articulate what I want? I, that example I used at the beginning, I want to, we want to get bigger jobs so we get more income without having to staff up our resources. That can be a pretty that that can take a two hour conversation to get to. And so, you want to drive your digital transformation. You want to figure out how to make your data work. You've got to pick the places where you see an opportunity to improve your business because it has to have the sponsorship and leadership, the sponsorship and energy of the most senior person in the company. And the most senior person in the company is going to be motivated by results, not by theory. And that's, the, and that's where these transformations in mid-sized companies will often fall apart.
1: The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus helping you achieve higher performance with software training, support consulting and custom development applied software has you covered visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. What do you think that the next big kind of innovation wave that's going to come to the industry is going to be?
0: You know, I'm, I'm really interested in how video gets used you know i think I, 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 if this is this is an existing technology but i'm i'm most i'm most intrigued by how existing technologies expand and get leveraged into generating efficiencies and you know we've just had a year where everybody's uh, kind of standardized on video calls and in fact if somebody says to you hey i'd rather talk on the phone than on video it's like wow what are you talking about so now you get to an interesting—you uh, get to the interesting uh, point of, of uh, you know, the I've got a problem. I'm on the job site. I've got a problem. Here's the plans. Who's the person we need to talk to to solve this problem? Uh, how do I show this problem to them? What what do I need to be able to capture in video that will show that problem? And If you think about it video is good in two dimensions it gets challenging in three dimensions somebody tries to show you the inside of a motor it's hard to figure out exactly what you're looking at the directions mm-hmm. with uh between between uh you know it's like somebody you're showing somebody something and they say no move it a little to the left and you move it a little to the right and it's just like simple stuff like that but like, okay, so how are we going to work through that in a way that you can be on a job site, you can have a problem in an installation, you can, uh, you can take a, you, you can video that problem. And then that takes you to a, you can send it to somebody, they give you an answer, you can get to, you can get to somebody at the architecture firm or the engineer who specified that and go, this doesn't work. What do we do? How do you, how do you reduce the problem solving cycle by getting more immediacy of each of the participants in that value chain? Um, That's what I think we just opened the door to this last year. And and it's something that could be really, really valuable, but the technology that we're working with right now isn't quite adept enough to get you where you need to get.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's interesting. The power of video too, I think it has allowed people to be more intentional, that everybody doesn't necessarily have to be on the job site for every single problem or or question that comes up that circling back on the intentional part. There are times where you need to be, but now you can, um, you know, you can determine that easier that you can look at a a video and be like, oh no, I probably need need to come in No, I can see it perfectly fine from here. And. Do this, um, so I think that video power is is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, think about think about um think about an end end of day, an end of day video diary of where they are, that get uploaded, get sent back into the office, and you know you got an expert installer who's just taking a look. Maybe you can anticipate a problem. Maybe maybe you see something. Maybe you cut down on the amount of redo that you have. It's it's uh. The some of the most powerful solutions come from using uh, simple existing technologies and adapting them to the problem that you have. So it's not it's not about, you know, it's it's how many it's not about limiting. It's not about reducing the manpower on the site so much as it is about making that manpower more efficient, cutting down you know, cutting down, cutting down the problems. Um, You know, the, the, the other things where my mind goes is always about it always to uh, where are things on the, where are things You know, like, where are they? I've got, I've got a, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm putting in a dog park. I'm waiting for the fence. The fence is back ordered. Where is it exactly? Who knows where that fence is? Is it yeah. on a container somewhere? Is it really two weeks off, or is it a week off? Um, put a little tracking device in that fence that beams up to a satellite that I, as the subcontractor, can see where it is. Oh, it's off the coast of Alaska. It's not going to get here for ten days. I'm not, not going to put. I'm not going to hold my crew for that. I know I can put them on a ten-day job. It's it's little stuff like that that creates efficiencies. That each one of those efficiencies, say, say I think I've got think I say I think I've got the fence due in seven days. I've got a crew that's going to be doing that install. I got another job that comes in that's going to be a 14-day job. What do I do? Do I send the crew out to do half the 14-day job? Wait for the fence to come in. Do I put new, another crew on that? Do I send this crew out to do maintenance? And then, oh, damn, the fence didn't show up for 14 days. I just blew, I just added 25% of expense that I didn't need to have. You can squeeze that stuff out of your business. Then you start making money. And that makes you get excited about the power of these little technologies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, how do people find out more information on Dodge Data and Analytics? Yeah, you
0: just um, come to construction.com or go to thebluebook.com and you'll find a lot of different resources that will help you get access to to data and uh, that will help you grow your business. And that will give you an opportunity to um, promote your own business to general contractors and facility managers and suppliers and owners that are looking for uh, business partners. So Todd, as always, it was fun.
1: Yeah, likewise. I enjoyed the, the conversation and I'm looking forward to hearing more of it at, at MEP Force.
0: I am too. I'm looking forward to sharing it. Thank you a lot.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much, Dan. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take I loved Dan's point on how being indestructible means also being adaptable and open to changing things up. That goes to the core of what we talk about with innovation on the show. Second take relating the indestructible mentality to how we approach data. It is more flexible, relatable, and useful than we realize if we have good governance and a rock solid North star. It's important to have that North star on how to use and leverage data. And finally, Dan mentioned that technology adoption and digital transformation starts with a good culture. The transformation necessary to harness the power of data is more mindset than anything. It requires us to shift our perspective and be willing to sometimes unlearn more than we learn. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at ASTI.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, Bridging the Gap Pod. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021.